Our song leader thinks he's clever. You know what to do. You know, the other people didn't have a list that said the title of the lesson. That's, they didn't know what you were talking about. So there we go. Title of the lesson today, you know what to do. So you knew what to do, didn't you? Okay, very good. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad that we're sharing this time together. Those of you who are watching online, hey, do something for me. If you're watching online, do something for me. Put a note on there where you can put a comment. Just say, hello, we're on today. This is so-and-so. I'd kind of like to know who's, who's watching. Just to say, hey, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you're watching. That way, I know you were there. Not, not for any ulterior motive other than just say, hey, I'm glad you're there. So if you want to type in there and type in, I'm watching today. I appreciate you doing that. We've been looking at some things from 1 John chapter 2. I, I, in all my years... And there have been quite a few of them. In all my, no, that wasn't funny. In all my years of preaching, I don't know that I've ever done a series out of 1 John 2. Never thought that much about it. I love 1 John. Beautiful, marvelous book. Some great things. I love 1 John 1, you know, and 1 John 5. There, there are tremendous things throughout the book, but I've never taken time to just break down 1 John 2 and draw some lessons out of it. And that's what we've been doing the last few weeks. A little longer section this week, and so you're going to have to bear with me. Is that all right? You're going to bear with me while we read through a fairly lengthy reading. That's what we did in Bible class this morning. You know what the, the preacher or the teacher does? If he doesn't have much to say, he just reads a long thing to you in class. That's what preachers do too. If, if you don't have anything to say, just give them a long scripture to read. Not really. I just think this passage is one that I didn't want to cut short and I wanted to emphasize and I really believe it says you know what to do so verses 18 through 27 if you'd like to read along in your Bible John writes little children it is the last hour as you've heard that the antichrist is coming even now many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he he that denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as, just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, there are several things we could draw out of this, and there's always a lot of interest in this idea of the Antichrist and the Antichrist and maybe even the last hour and so forth and what John is writing here, but I want you to get a message this morning. This is the message we're focusing this morning, that you know what to do. 
And that's what John is getting across to these people. Not so much what's happening around them, but you know what to do regardless of what's happening around you. You know what to do. You know the right thing to do, and I want you to do it. Because there is no doubt. There's no doubt that knowing the right thing and doing the right thing can be very different matters. Frankly, a person can be very intelligent, very informed on the issues, and still not do anything and definitely not do the right thing. You can probably say that in your own life. Sometimes you've known the right thing to do and you did the other thing anyway. Paul talks about that in his life. He says, you know, knowing the right thing to do and doing the right thing, again, is kind of a challenge. And so, so I just want to say, but it, it's not because we're lazy, you and me. It's not because we're lazy. It just sometimes it sneaks up on us a little bit. But in the world... And the world, as the world turns, as they say in the, in the soap opera, as the world turns, sometimes the world, we know the right thing to do. Sometimes we just don't do it. You know, we know it's better not to drop bombs on people, but it happens, doesn't it? We know not to go to war, but sometimes it happens. We know not to lie, but sometimes they slip out and things happen and so forth. You know, back in 1959... In 1959, in the world, the Cold War was raging, the atomic energy thing, the bombs, the the nuclear arsenals were building and so forth. In 1959, the Cold War was growing and intensifying. And if you were in school in those days, I wasn't quite there yet. I want you to know there was a time uh, that I wasn't in school yet. But in those days, we'd have those air raid drills and so forth. You remember, go out in the hallways, get under your desk or whatever it was. And everything, But in 1959, as the Cold War threatened to grow with a nuclear holocaust, there was a movie that came out. Gregory Peck starred in the movie of that time. It was entitled On the Beach. And it was, you may remember the movie. It was about those in the submarine. He was a submarine commander, and they were sent from Australia, the only remaining bastion in the world, as far as they knew, after a nuclear holocaust. But they had received some signals, and they had to travel and... and figure out whether there was still somebody left alive. But the end of the movie basically has everybody obliterated by our own ignorant behaviors. We knew better, but we did anyway. That's the point of the movie. And the the idea is, let's do better while we still know what we can do. Let's do better in that regard. We hear those voices sometimes, whether we agree with the conclusions that some are drawing in some areas or not, that's not my point. But when you know the right thing to do, It's a matter of doing it. You know what is right. And that's what John is getting across. And he states very plainly in this, there are things you know about where we are and what we are to do. I'm not sure I stated that very well on there, but anyway, it's up there. There are things you know about where we are and what to do. That's what he's telling them. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I didn't really come in here this morning to tell you something you don't know but to remind you and to challenge us and to think about these things. But John goes into a recitation of the state of affairs, of things that are going on and where they are and what's going on. He says, we are at that moment. Do you notice what he he said in this regard? It is the last hour. I don't think he was saying the world is ending tomorrow. I don't think that's his point at all. I think he's saying we are at the moment, not the ending of time, but a moment that has been planned. 
a realization of things we've talked about. And he said, you're going to face strong, a strong, strong voice of denial that's going to deny God, that's going to deny the Son. There have already been voices out there that have been saying that, but there's going to be this strong voice that's out there, and I want you to be aware. I want you to know who you are, and I want you to know the right thing to do. There have been many voices in the past. This is not the first age that's dealt with that. You think of all the prophets that had come and gone throughout the ages, and the conflicts that they faced along the way, and how many people had stood against them and what they had to say say I can't help but think about somebody like Jeremiah who kept going to them telling them you know we need to do so and so we need to do so and so you need to change but he wasn't alone as a prophet what they do with Jeremiah they threw him in a pit got him down in a pit and so many of the prophets and that's what what Stephen says to him in the seventh chapter of Acts that you wouldn't listen to him you even killed many of them Jesus had said the same thing to them God sent people to you and you just wouldn't listen to them one of the Old Testament prophets has the statement, God, tell her, I sent this, I sent this, and sent this, and you still didn't respond and do the right thing. There have been voices throughout the past. Imagine the people that were around, if there was anybody that actually came up and found Noah building that ark. Hey, Noah, why are you building that ark? <laughs> yeah, you think the water's going to come up here? Well, you're out of your mind, buddy. And as he built that thing for probably about 100 years, don't you know they looked at him and said, you're still working on that silly thing out there? Imagine the people who saw him building that ark. Like I said, Jeremiah was met by negative voices. Jesus was definitely confronted by people who denied. Even that night there before the council, as they said, you're just blasphemous. Met by those voices of denial. I'm not talking about Peter's denial and fear. I'm talking about people who opposed him and denied what he was. And what John is saying, you're stronger. You have something better. Something better you can lean on. You have something you can account for. You have, and he refers to it as an anointing. And sometimes we look at something like an anointing and we think we're talking about something mystical. We're talking about something supernatural in this regard. I think he's just simply saying like an anointing of old. Do you remember when, when Samuel went to the home of Jesse to find the new king? Went through all those sons, goes through those seven sons, and we, we recognize we're not finding someone here. He says, well, wait a minute, we've got this youngest one. And they bring him in, he sees David. You remember what he did? He jumped up and he poured oil on David's head. The prophet poured that oil on David's head and anointed him as king. Was there some mystical power in it? No. No mystical power in it. It was a symbolic, determined gesture. It was a statement that was being made. I think what John is trying to tell us is we have what we need. We have something that has been given to us. We have a recognition that's here. Could he be talking about the Holy Spirit in particular in miraculous manifestation? I guess it's possible, but I think it's more than that. I think it's a recognition of what he has given to us to understand, to comprehend, and to use. You've got something better. Kings of old, like David in 1 Samuel 16, were anointed by oil, but there was no mystical power in it. What he's saying is you have a knowledge that comes from God. You are not lacking. You and I, we have an anointing. We have his word. We have that recognition. We can hold on to that. We have something here that we can use. You are not lacking in any way. Because then and now there are deniers of Christ. Remember what Peter said? 2 Peter 1 verse 3. He has given us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. We've got something we can use. He's given us the information we need, and we can use it. So I'd say to that, don't be, don't be distracted. Don't be deceived. Don't be turned away in any way. In other words, own what you know. Grab hold of it. Recognize it. Use it. What you know. Don't be afraid of what you know. Don't be hesitant about what you know. There are going to be people who are going to come with all kinds of information trying to deny. There are going to be people who will say, well, I know better than you. No. Own what you know and don't be dissuaded from what you know to be true. And with that in mind, live it. Live what you know. Don't hide it in a closet. I think about some of those religious leaders in the time of Jesus who believed in Jesus, but they did so, and it says in John, secretly. They did so secretly because they were afraid of people. They wanted the recognition of people. They wanted people to to believe in them, to trust them. They wanted people to honor them more than they wanted, more than they wanted God, more than they wanted God in their lives. Live it. Because there is a difference between knowing the truth and living the truth. There is a difference between living the truth by force and living it by heart. And what I'm talking about is living it by heart. Knowing what's been given to you and living it by your heart. That's what Paul was trying to get across to Timothy. In that which you you know and you do because you believe and you know it's right. You know, sometimes we get questioned how somebody could walk away. I've had parents walk up to me at times occasionally and and say, I don't know what I did wrong. My kids, I I tried to teach them right. I took them to Sunday school and church services and everything. Somewhere along the line, somewhere along the line, they they failed. Not the parents necessarily. I'm just saying there was a failure for them to ever own their own faith. There was, there was an absence of them grabbing hold of that for themselves. There comes a point in our lives we don't want somebody else's faith. We want our own faith. We want something because we believe it. We know it to be true. Remember the Samaritan woman who dealt with Jesus and she went back into the village. The disciples came back to Jesus and she had left her water pot there with them and she ran back into the village. She went in and she told them, there's a man out here who's told me everything that I ever knew in my life. She got people to come out and listen to Jesus and they began to listen and Jesus stayed with them for a while and taught them. And in the end, do you remember what they told her? They said, at first, at first, it was because of you. But now we believe could I say in spite of you or beyond you? We believe on our own because we own that. We've heard him. We believe in him. People need their own determined faith, not because it's their wives, not because of their husbands, not because it's their parents, not because it's of their best friend, because they, you, I, we believe it individually on our own. It needs to be a driving purpose and a driving passion for our lives that, like Paul would say, for me to live is Christ. That driving passion in life. And so John is saying, you know, they knew. They knew, and this is a key element in everything he writes in this beautiful little book. You know, you know what you need to do. You know what is right. Key to what he had to say was that they knew. I've not written this to you because you don't know. Verse 21 that we just read. Not written it to you because you don't know. I've written it to you because you do know. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Because 
It is about doing. Listen to it. Listen to what he has to say. He's telling them there is something to do. It is about doing. Isn't that what James tells us? Be doers of the word. Not just people who have heard it and, and listened to it and think it, it makes sense, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. He goes on to say you end up deceiving yourself in that way. But the message is be doers because we have something worth doing. Yes, it's something worth doing. It's something worth comprehending. It's something worth understanding. This is not your, your, your Monday, Wednesday, Friday algebra class at 8 o'clock in the morning. That's not what this is. This is something worth doing. And it's time to do it. It's worth doing and it's time to do it. You see, I, I think we, we find ourselves waiting. Have you caught yourself lately doing a little bit of that? I have. I keep waiting, 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 waiting. I hate the way things are, don't you? I hate the idea and the separation. I hate not being able to do some of the things I want to do in the way I, in the way I want to do them. I hate that in a way. Find ourselves waiting. But what John is saying, too often we are waiting. We're waiting for somebody else to act, somebody else to do something about it, something, somebody else to make a difference. Or we're just waiting like maybe I've caught myself doing, waiting for the world to change. But listen. Listen. Because there is something worth doing and it's time to do because the Great Commission... The great commission of our Lord to his disciples, to you and me, is a matter of personal responsibility. It is one with a life-saving, life-needed emphasis, and it's something that cannot wait. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not something we can sit around and wait about because it was needed. What does he go on to say? He that believes and is baptized will be saved. It's needed. Because those who don't believe, they'll be lost. The Great Commission is a personal thing. It's to you and to me. It's a personal responsibility. I don't mean we necessarily running down the street, knocking on doors, hollering at people, standing on a street corner with a bullhorn trying to shout out to people, but it needs to be personal and responsible to us that the people we can touch in our lives, the people we can reach in our lives, whether it's halfway around the world in India or whether it's in Oklahoma City or more or wherever we might be, in Newcastle. The Great Commission is a personal responsibility and it has a life-saving emphasis it is worth doing, and it's worth doing in our lives and in other lives right now. And it is ours to do. And if it's ours to do, it is for us to know it clearly, put an L-Y on there, to know and to clearly discern our times. We need to clearly discern to clearly understand our times and where we are and how we, must, how we may deal with them. If we, we've got the heart of sharing the gospel, of holding on to the gospel, of living the gospel in our lives, we need to know and clearly understand and discern the times in which we live. This is not 1960 or 59. This is not 1959. This is not the year 2000. 
We're most of the way through the year 2020. And I hope we begin to see more clearly. Catch that? More clearly as we move along. To know and to clearly discern our times. It is ours to do and to identify those elements that we understand are contrary or anti to the Lord. Not, it doesn't, they don't have to necessarily come out and say, let me deny the Lord, let me deny God, let me deny His Son, Jesus Christ. We'll find a few that are going to just be that bold. But their efforts and their actions and their determinations life, the choices that are made in life, may be denying the power and the, and the recognition of God that He deserves. And it is ours to do and to know how. You and I, we need to confirm what we know. We need to stay in the Word, and we need to confirm in our lives by our reading, by our study, by our sharing with one another and with others to confirm what we know. And we need to focus clearly on that promise that He has given to us. For the promise is, as John tells us here, eternal life. We've got that to hold on to. And for us, then, that means trust the teaching. Trust it. Believe it to be true. We said in our class this morning, it comes down to faith and believing that faith. Trust the teaching. So John says, there's something we need to do. And you know what? You know what to do. I'm not talking to ignorant people today, I think. Sometimes we may play a little ignorant. But we're not ignorant. We know what we should be, and we know what we should do. And when it comes down to that, we know something better. We can trust it and build an an assured eternal life. And when we know and abide in the truth, it becomes even more real, more definite, more determined in our lives. People, you know what to do. I picked on Trey for saying that a while ago when you didn't know what he's talking about. But the reality is, just like we knew We're going to stand up to sing that song. And you know what? You know what to do now. Because you know we're going to stand up and we're going to sing a song. Maybe you don't need to march down the aisle this morning. Maybe you just need to think in your own mind, I know what to do and I'm going to begin today to do better about doing what I know to do. In that, we find God-honored and success. This morning, if there is someone who needs to respond, we have the opportunity to put before you, if you need to obey the gospel, you need to uh, come for any reason this morning, we'll gladly assist you right here and right now while we stand and sing together.